Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. This month we're asking God to set a watch over our mouth and over the door of our lips Today we're going to look at some more words that are not to come out of our mouths. We need to pray, Lord, guard my mouth from speaking these words. Put a watch over the door of my lips so that when I speak these words, you will convict me by your Spirit. And by your grace, I will not continue to speak them. This morning we're going to look at what I call... Six socially acceptable sins of the tongue. Many people would agree that lying and slander and gossip and profanity are wrong. The six words we're going to look at today are socially acceptable. Few in our society would have any problems with these words. And that is our primary danger as Christians. Because we get so acclimated to our culture that if we're not careful, we also will accept these sins of the tongue as being okay. As being, well, that's just normal conversation. And so the purpose of this message is to raise your level of sensitivity to these sins of the tongue. To lift up God's righteous standard and to judge our speech by God's righteous standard, not the standard that society would give us. God says, be holy as I am holy. God says to us, come out from among them and be ye separate. Be different. We're called to be different. We're called to be different in what we say, in the way we talk. Our speech is to be different. Therefore, as we examine these six socially acceptable sins of the tongue, ask the Spirit of God to convict you if there is any of these violations in your speech. I will tell you it was a convicting message for me to to work up and to study. I saw some things that I had allowed in my life that needed to be changed. I will tell you which ones. You'll just have to wonder about that. All right, first one. Is quarreling. Now, we have a place in your bulletin for you to take notes, and I want to encourage you to do so. If you're visiting, open up your bulletin. Quarreling. First, let me define quarreling for you. And these are basically definitions that have come from Scripture and the truth that Scripture gives. It's to dispute violently or with loud and angry words. To dispute violently or with loud and angry words. Verbal combat. It means to wrangle. Now, quarreling differs from arguing. Some of you will be glad of that. The New Testament word for argue has the root of that word to seek, to investigate. Therefore, an argument... Biblically speaking, is a debate. It is 
a discussion that has the purpose of seeking and finding the truth. And to argue for the purpose of finding the truth is acceptable. But quarreling differs in two respects from arguing. First respect, it differs in the emotional level. Quarreling has a high emotional level, a heated emotional level, anger. Also, it differs in the purpose. The purpose of quarreling is not to find the truth. The purpose in a quarrel is to win, to have victory. You have ceased looking for the truth, and you simply want to save face, and you simply want to win. Therefore, it's possible for an argument to become a quarrel. What may start off as a legitimate seeking to find the truth, a discussion, a debate, can turn into a quarrel when the emotional level rises and becomes a heated thing, and when egos get involved and no longer do you really want the truth, you just simply want to win. Right? Who do you think most people argue with more than anybody else? I'd say their spouse probably, wouldn't you? <laughs> All right, let's look at the biblical commands concerning this. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. We are not to be involved in foolish speculations. Quarrels come when we start arguing about mere speculations. Things that really have no truth to them. For instance, who's going to win the Georgia, Georgia Tech football game this year? Well, nobody knows for sure who's going to win. If there's anything we know is that when those two teams get together, there's such a intensity about the game, past records don't really mean anything. I mean, it, anybody could win it. So for you to get in an argument with somebody over who's going to win that game and to end up quarreling is to violate Scripture. And many quarrels come because we do get involved in arguing about things that are simply speculation. Now, if you want to debate with somebody about the pros and cons of NAFTA, then go to it. I don't know anybody who particularly would want to do that, except Gore and Perot, but anybody else, if you want to do it, go to it. That probably would not end up in a quarrel. But things that have no definite truth, but it's just your opinion, just speculation, be careful about. Look in Proverbs 17. We have another warning and command from Scripture. Proverbs 17, verse 14. 
This is one married people will appreciate. Proverbs seventeen fourteen. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. The word picture there is that beginning a quarrel is like a little leak in a dam. And if you're not careful, that little small leak becomes an avalanche of water and the water just comes gushing out. How many times, men, have you kind of had a rough day at work? And so you kind of just had your chip on your shoulder when you drove in the driveway. And you come in and your wife says something and you just come back with some curt, argumentative, quarrelsome remark just because you're irritated with life. Thinking, well, you know, I can get by with it. But lo and behold, she comes back with an avalanche of words. I mean, she explodes. And you think, wow, boy, I should have never said that. I mean, you were just bargained for just a little verbal combat. You were not looking for an all-out war, right? Now, the problem, you should have abandoned it before you ever started because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, when you see a quarrel beginning, and you can tell because the emotions begin to get charged, the volume gets louder, it increases. Just stop. Just be quiet. You know, it takes two to quarrel. Just stop and say, hey, let's just talk about something else. Let's just, you know, I'm sorry I even brought it up. Let's just talk about something else. Abandon a quarrel before it gets started. When you tell that an argument is turning into a quarrel or the discussion is turning into a quarrel, just stop it. And I'm going to give you four things you can do to avoid quarreling. First one's found over in Proverbs 20, verse 3. And that is to realize that fools love to quarrel. The Bible says a fool loves to quarrel. Proverbs 20, verse 3. Keep away from strife. Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man. But any fool will quarrel. Now, if you want to avoid a quarrel, you're being honorable. You're being a smart person. But when you allow your ego to get hooked to be attacked and you want to fight back and you fight back, you're acting like a fool. And that's when quarrels really get going. It's when our ego gets attacked. Somebody says something that steps on us and we fire back with something to step on them. And there it goes. So realize that fools love to quarrel. Hold your tongue. It's honorable not to quarrel. And then the second thing is drop issues that are potentially volatile. Same verse we saw early in Proverbs 17. Man, don't let it break out. Abandon it before it starts. If an issue is potentially volatile, just drop it. People say politics and religion are two of the most volatile subjects you can talk about. Third thing is found over in Proverbs 12, 16. Overlook insults. Overlook insults. Proverbs twelve sixteen says, A fool's vexation is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. And that dishonor means an insult. In other words, when you insult a wise man, he doesn't respond back with an insult. You won't even know you've insulted him. He covers it over. He conceals it. But a fool... 
You insult a fool. Man, they will come back at you with an equal insult, returning insult for insult. I mean, you'll know immediately you stepped on their toes because, man, they will fire back. Well, I'm just looking out for my rights, preacher. God says you're a fool, too, if you respond that way. But i got to take up for myself. Let God take up for you, right? Be wise and just don't say anything back. But you return that insult for insult, that's where a quarrel gets started. Fourth thing is do not associate with mockers. Look in Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 10. Do not associate with mockers. Drive out the scoffer and contention will go out. Even strife and dishonor will cease. Mockers stir up quarrels because they incite them by their insults as they insult people. And if you hang around a mocker, you're going to ask for trouble. And you'll be getting into quarrels. So don't hang around. Don't associate with mockers. Are you quarrelsome? Do you enjoy a good quarrel? Are you one of those people that takes issue with everything? I mean, nobody can say anything that you don't say, well, now, wait a minute. And you have to take issue with it. You think you have to be the devil's advocate with everything? You can't enjoy it. The Bible says we're not to quarrel. Second socially acceptable sin of the tongue is mocking. Mocking. Definition is to laugh at or ridicule, to treat with contempt or scorn. To laugh at or ridicule someone, to treat them with contempt and scorn. In fact, the New Testament word means to turn up your nose at somebody. That's the picture in the New Testament, to sneer at somebody, to scoff, to laugh at them, to make fun of them. This is what the soldiers did to Jesus, Pilate's soldiers, when they had beaten him. You remember they took a scarlet robe and placed it upon him, mocking him, ridiculing him as saying he was a king. They took a crown of thorns and put them on his head, again, laughing at him, ridiculing him that he was claiming to be a king. They took a reed and gave it to him as a scepter. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. I mean, they were just poking fun at him and just ridiculing him and laughing and treating him with great contempt and scorn. Also over in the Old Testament, over in 2 Kings, to show you what God thinks about mockers, look in 2 Kings chapter 2. Some lads, probably teenage boys, mocked the prophet Elisha. 2 Kings 2, 23. Then he went up from there to Bethel, that is Elisha, the prophet. And as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. And when he looked behind him and he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. Now, the judgment failed, didn't it? God's hand of judgment came on for mocking God's prophet. Now look at the biblical warnings and commands 
back over to the New Testament, almost to the end, in Jude 17, right before Revelation. We have a biblical command and warning. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. That they were saying to you, in the last days there shall be mockers. Now notice how he describes mockers. Following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions. Worldly minded, devoid of the Spirit. That's what a mocker is. He causes dissensions. He's worldly minded. He's following after his own lust. And he is devoid of the Spirit of God. Another passage that speaks to mockers is over in Proverbs chapter 3. It speaks of God and His attitude toward scoffers, toward mockers. You know what it says? It says, He scoffs at scoffers, that is God. Yet, He gives grace to the afflicted. God mocks the mocker. God laughs at the mocker, but He gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 19 says, Judgments are prepared for scoffers. You want judgments? You want punishment in your life? Then be a mocker. You want discipline? Then be a mocker. God will discipline you. And perhaps the strongest warning is over in Proverbs 30, verse 17. And you guys need to listen to this, particularly you teenage guys. Because this verse, I think, was written to teenage guys. The eye that mocks a father and scorns a mother, the ravens will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. God's severe warning to young people about mocking their parents. And we all have to watch out for this sin, but I think particularly teenage guys would have to watch this one in particular. You know, certain sins tend to be more prevalent in certain age groups and certain sexes. I think teenage guys, as I look back on my teenage days, particularly need to be careful about mocking, ridiculing, laughing at someone, treating them with contempt or scorn. Do you ridicule? Do you laugh at people? Do you make fun of people because they look different? You say, man, look at his big old ears. He looks like a taxi cab going down the road with both doors open. Do you laugh at people and say, man, look at the nose on that fella. Wow. Do you laugh at people because they look different? Do you laugh at people because they're a different race? Do you laugh at people because they have different beliefs, be it religious or political beliefs? I haven't seen Saturday Night Live in many days, but a few years ago I saw it, and they had a political satire, they called it. But, you know, I think it was mocking. Because it was making fun of, it was ridiculing political figures. You know who some of the chief violators of this biblical principle are? TV and radio talk show hosts. Who ridicule and, and make fun of people in positions of leadership in our nation and in our country. 
people who ridicule those in authority over them. I think some political cartoonists border on mocking. Because again, it, it's not laughing with somebody, but it's laughing at somebody. It's ridiculing them. It's holding them up for contempt. It's treating them with, with scorn. That's one thing to disagree with someone. We surely should do that if they're wrong. And, and as a f- American, we have that freedom of speech. But it's another thing to ridicule, to laugh at, to make fun of someone. Because they don't believe like we believe, or look like we be- look, or act like we act. Are you a mocker? The next word we need to be cautious about is boasting. Now, the definition of boasting is simple, self-praise. Self-praise. In fact, the Hebrew word for boast is the same word that's translated praise. It means to brag about your accomplishments, to build yourself up in front of others. Goliath is an example in Scripture. When David came out to him, Goliath said, Come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky. And to the beast of the field. Man, I'll take care of you. King Sennacherib, when he came against Judah and Hezekiah, he said all the other gods of all the other lands were not able to protect them. And you think your God's going to protect you? No way. In essence, he said, man, I'm going to make soup out of you. You know what is so sinful about boasting? It doesn't take into account that God is the one who's in control. It gives the impression we have accomplished whatever's been accomplished. It doesn't recognize God's the one who did this. You say, but man, I worked for this. Yeah, and who gave you the ability to work? God did. Who gave you the abilities you have? God did. Who gave you the opportunities you have? God did. How many guys do you think have all the ability and all the natural talent that Greg Maddox has? But because they live in a country, maybe in a country that's undeveloped, they've never had an opportunity to throw a baseball. But if they'd had the same opportunities, the same chances that Greg Maddox had, they'd be every bit as good as he is. So, opportunity is a big thing, isn't it? God gave you your opportunities. He gives you the abilities that you have. Paul says, what does any of us have that God didn't give us? So, bragging does not take into account that God's in control. Goliath thought he was in control. He found out different, didn't he? So, Nacrop thought he was in control. And what happened was God dispatched his angel and wiped out the armies of Sennacherib. The biblical commands are found over in Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, 2. Says, let another praise you, even a stranger, not your own lips. Let another praise you, not your own mouth, even a stranger but not your own lips. Do you brag? Do you boast? Do you feel like you have to build yourself up in other people's eyes or they won't think much of you, so you have to 
Tell them how great you are. God says, let another person praise you. Even a stranger. Not your own lips. God also gives us a rather strong command over in Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. He does give you permission to boast about something. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice, righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Can you boast? Hey, I know God. I understand God. I know His ways. Because if you really knew Him and understood Him, you wouldn't boast, would you? But if you're going to, in your own mind, be happy about something, don't be happy about your riches. Don't be happy about your wisdom. Don't be happy about your strength. Be happy that you know God. That you're seeking Him and that you understand Him and His ways. His loving kindness. The next uh, socially acceptable sin is obscenity. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, 3 and 4, The Scripture says, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What is obscenity? Any talk that is impure and disgraceful. Dirty speech, vulgarities, speech that is foul and filthy, offensive or disgusting. Now, there are three words we need to understand that Paul uses. Filthiness, silly talk, and coarse jesting. Now, the first word, filthiness, in verse 4, is a word that speaks of general obscenities. Any speech that is vile and disgraceful. Dirty speech. Colossians 3.8 calls it abusive speech. Now, the next word is silly talk. It's made up of Two words in the Greek. The first word is moros, which we get our English word moron from it. The second word means talk or speech. So it's speaking of stupid talk. It's speaking of foolish talk that comes from a drunk or a gutter mouth. That kind of talk. Talk that has no purpose but to give an air of dirty worldliness. Now, I've heard this kind of talk before. 
And you know, it just, it just doesn't make sense if you really take the talk and you really examine what's being said. It is just stupid talk. I mean, they put in so many obscenities. They put in so many curse words where they don't even fit. If you really just take the sentence and analyze it, man, you couldn't diagram it in a hundred years. And it doesn't make sense if you really look at it. It's like they're just trying to pack as many obscenities into a sentence that they can pack into it. And you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you think now, that doesn't make sense. They're putting obscenities where there's no business of being an obscenity. That doesn't call for an adjective, but they just want to pack it full. And you kind of have to just listen to the key words and forget the obscenities to make sense out of what they're saying. Right? I mean, that's just stupid talk. That's moronish talk. And God says we're not to do that. The third one is coarse jesting. Now, this has to do with sexual innuendos. This is a person who turns something that is said, no matter how innocent it is, into something that is sexually suggestive or obscene. It's that filthy talk of a person who uses every word and circumstance to display their immoral wit. Now again, perhaps the worst offenders of this are those talk show hosts. And what do they say? And the audience laughs and the actress acts embarrassed and things go like that. There's a radio guy that uh, sometimes I catch and I don't listen to long, talk show host, and he does that all the time. And I can't believe the stuff he twists and turns around to make it something sexually suggestive. Now, in the light of this clear teaching of God's Word, It's strange to me that so many Christians not only discuss, but laugh at and joke with impunity about almost every form of sexual intimacy, corruption, and perversion. And they watch television shows that are filled with the same. And go to movies that are filled with obscenities. Doesn't it seem strange to you that Christians do that? When God says, hey, it is not to be anywhere among us. We are to be people of purity, not people of impurity. Do you turn every comment into a sexually suggestive innuendo? Are you quick to show your immoral wit? The last word is flattery. No, excuse me. Next to the last word is flattery. The definition is to butter someone up to give an advantage, to gain an advantage or favor. To butter somebody up to gain an advantage or favor. It's interesting, the Hebrew root word for this word flattery is to be smooth, to be slippery. Perhaps the best example is over in Psalm 55. David is writing this psalm and he's talking about one of his close friends who has turned on him has become a traitor to him. Look at what he says about this close friend in verse 21 of Psalm 55. He says his speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. You see, the flatterer butters someone up for the purpose of gaining an advantage or favor. 
Flattery differs from complimenting someone in two respects. First, compliments are true. Flattery is either a lie, and you're just catering to somebody's pride, or it goes beyond the truth. Like, man, that is the absolute best dessert I've ever tasted in my life. Now, unless it was, you're flattering. You could say, hey, man, that was good. I really enjoyed that dessert. That would be a compliment. Generally, flattery appeals to a person's pride. You know an area that they already have a little conceit in, and you kind of feed into that, flattering them. Compliments are not given with a hidden agenda of buttering somebody up, but for the purpose of appreciation, for the purpose of encouragement. Flattery has hidden motives. It's interesting that the Scripture speaks of the adulteress, being a flatterer. Men, that ought to be a red light flashing to you. When that young secretary at work starts complimenting you, talking about all these great traits that you think you have anyway, don't believe it. Don't believe it. She's buttering you up for something. The adulteress realizes the power of flattery to a man's ego. And if you if you wives are respecting that man, as Scripture says you are to do, building him up with compliments that are true, then he won't be as success as success as susceptible. There you go. To that flattery from that secretary at work. The next word well, let me get the biblical warnings. I hadn't given you those yet. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight says, A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and flatter, a flattering mouth works ruin. Over in Romans 16, Paul's talking about false teachers. And one of the characteristics of a false teacher is he flatters for the purpose of gaining something. Proverbs 16, 18, excuse me, Romans 16, 18 says, for such men are slaves not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Unsuspecting. Okay. All right? Don't be a flatterer. And then the last word is reviling. Reviling. The definition is to verbally abuse with an attitude of contempt. That's similar to mocking because contempt is a part of it. But rather than making fun of someone, you simply verbally abuse them. I mean, you rant and you rave. It's abusive railing at someone to reproach them. Something like, you stupid jerk, you fool, you idiot. And just really bombard them with verbal abuse. That is to revile. Look over in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus speaks about this rather strongly in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 22. Matthew 5, 22, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And, everyone, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. 
Here comes the reviling. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. Don't revile. Paul picks up on this same thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he lists the revilers with some others that I know you would not want to keep company with. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, here it comes, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Do you verbally abuse people? Maybe your children? Maybe your spouse? You stupid fool! Didn't you know better than that? Somebody at work, perhaps? That works under you? This generally happens, not always, but generally happens when someone is an authority to someone who is under their authority. Because they feel the liberty for some reason to give the verbal barrage or in a family situation. Have you accepted the unacceptable? Have you allowed some of these socially acceptable sins to go on in your mouth? God says they defile our body. They reveal what is in our heart. Let us ask God to put a guard over our mouth and watch over the door of our lips. Let's ask God's Spirit to deal with us, that we'll not be guilty of these sins, but that we will be people whose, whose speech is pure, honorable, and holy before God. Let us ask God that the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouth will be pleasing to Him. He'll convict us when we fall short of His high standard. That we'll be a different people. Let's pray. Father, we confess that our mouths so often lead us into sin. Enable us by Your grace not to be guilty of these sins of the tongue. Convict us when we are that we might come to You and Appropriate the power of the Spirit not to, to continue in sin. May our speech be seasoned as is with salt. It will give grace to those who hear. That will build up and not tear down. In Jesus' name, amen.